right. Well, welcome to this episode of Under the Brim. My name is Dr. Shanna Moody, and I am a professor of kinesiology and human performance here at Solar Ross State University. And at Under the Brim, we like to talk about all things mindset and motivation about what's going on in the minds of our athletes and what it takes to actually compete at the collegiate level. And we're really fo- focusing on how do rodeo athletes and traditional sports athletes um, compare or differentiate in their preparation, their training, their competition, um, and their performance in their sport. And it's been really interesting to bring in some of the athletes um, from all different areas of competition and have them interact and talk with each other. And um, most of the athletes didn't know each other. So a lot of the traditional sports rodeo athletes and the, the rodeo athletes didn't know each other coming in and they learned a lot from each other. But when we walked in today, I asked if you guys ever interacted and you said you did. So it's really unique and nothing against the athletes themselves, but I'm probably the most excited about this conversation today and to get to talk to um, the two guests that I have with me today. So I'm going to let you take it away and introduce yourselves. So you want to go ahead? Yep. I'm CJ Aragon. I'm the rodeo coach at Sol Ross State University. This is my fifth year at Sol Ross and 15th year coaching. Okay. Coaching specifically rodeo or anything else? Specifically rodeo. Okay. All right. Um, I'm Troy Canabo. I'm the head softball coach and head volleyball coach, also assistant athletic director here at Sol Ross State University. Um, I've been here eight years, um, and I just started my 22nd year coaching. Okay. Every sport, and I've been pretty much doing everything. So. Okay. Always at the collegiate level, or no, at the high school level. I've only been at the college level for eight years. Okay. Okay. Go to some of these high school gyms around here, and they've got his name up in there where he <laughs> took teams to the playoffs and the and the finals and stuff. You got so, some yeah. banners in some high schools, so yeah. it's okay. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, That's really neat. So tell me again, how do y'all know each other? How do y'all interact with each other? We, uh, of course, um, you know, just being around here at Ross too, but also too, we referee basketball. We used to referee basketball together for a long time and then interacting just, you know, with him because he has, he runs a really good program. And so, you know, we sit and watch things and pick brains and all that kind of stuff, but mainly we mainly for basketball and um, just being associated here at Ross. Okay. So you both officiate mm-hmm. yep. um, basketball. at the high school level? Yes. Okay, basketball. Uh, male or female? Both. Both. Both, okay. Junior high, too, JV. We wherever do, wherever they send us. <laughs> they're, they're pretty short of officials down here. Yes. Okay. So y'all are both members of the same association? Yep. Okay, what's that called? Permian Basin Basketball Officials Association. Okay. P-B- PBBOA. Mm-hmm. Okay. Is that something you've always been involved in? Yes, I st- uh, I played basketball here at Sol Ross. So then, once I, once I got done with my career, I, I hopped over and started doing um, officiating basketball just so I could stay around it. And so I've been doing it a long time. And so yeah, we've been kind of it's been something we've done for a long time. Okay. I uh, I refed when I was when I lived in Albuquerque and worked at Super Looper Magazine. I used to ref a lot over there, and then uh, I didn't call any games for twelve years. And when I moved down here. Uh, Brad Watney, who used to work here at the university, said, hey, you used to ref basketball games. Why don't you come help us? And I got started again after taking 12 years off. You got pulled back in. Pulled pulled back in. (laughs) I enjoy it, though. I really enjoy it. Okay. So basketball is not the sport sport that you coach, Coach Cannabis. So is it fun to be able to work in a different atmosphere, be away from being a different sport environment than what you're in on the day-to-day? Yeah, for sure. And then, you know, I coach girls, and so being on, being able to watch the boys uh, play a little bit is a little bit different. But, yeah, I, I love uh, the sport because that's what I played. Um, it's really weird because my career took a different avenue than what I played. Um, you know, I started coaching girls um, here at Sol Ross and as a GA, and that's kind of where my career was went that way but it's pretty neat to see um the different the different dynamics of both of both sports and the sports that we coach and and you know watching their his athletes and our athletes are 
it's just amazing to watch and, and be part of. Okay. And then what's that like for you? Because it's basketball. Do you feel like it's totally different than rodeo or you see some similarities or is it nice to just be away from rodeo for a minute and do something, you know, outside the box? It's kind of, kind of just, uh, it's kind of a refresher for me. Um, I really like doing it because I like, one of the things I really like to, to watch is how coaches interact with their players. Um, there's a lot of really good coaches in this area and there's, there's some that um, I don't think are living up to their potential just because of the way they interact and the way they treat their players. So for me, it's a really good learning experience on how a lot of these uh, coaches treat their players and stuff and you get to see it as an official and you get to watch the students' body language and stuff when the coaches are yelling at them or when the coaches are encouraging them and stuff. And I've, I find that really interesting. And that's probably one of the biggest things I get from officiating is I get to learn from a lot of these coaches uh, indirectly just by watching them. Yeah, so you're actually using it as almost like a lab or an experiment where you're getting to, yeah. Yeah. That's really neat. That's fascinating. And that just shows your mindset going in that this isn't just a side gig. It's not a side hustle. You're not there just for the paycheck. And it's not even just necessarily about the sport that you're really using it to continue to develop yourself as well. And I think that speaks a lot about you and your mindset. And to anyone listening who is trying to decide where to rodeo, I mean, if you want to determine it based on the type of coach that you're you know, competing for, I think that says a lot about you. And same for what you just talked about. So you mentioned that you were also a player at Sol Ross, correct? Mm -hmm. So yes. did you always play sports growing up? I did. Okay, yeah, so I what all sports did you play? I played uh, football, basketball, rent track, cross country, golf. Well, I came from a really small school, so okay. kind of did everything. And so I think those kind of uh, sports kind of helped uh, shape me to do what I needed to do here. And so um, I've been really blessed to be here at Sol Ross and love it. And um, my coach gave me an opportunity. I played in a playoff game up here at actually Grace Pierce at that time. <laughs> we didn't have the Gallego Center, and so um, they recruited me from there, and then the rest is kind of history. Okay. Did you always want to compete in collegiate sports? I didn't. Actually, I didn't, didn't really didn't know what I wanted to do. You know, I came out kind of like a lot of high school kids is that you just don't know what you want to do, but uh, it was an opportunity. I took it and grabbed it with both hands and took off with it, and thank God I did, you know, but no, no telling where I would be if I didn't. But... Uh, um, I just knew I wanted to be, be around sports all of my life because, because I loved it. Um, I actually want to be a trainer, athletic trainer. Okay. Um, and then being here, playing, I couldn't get my hours in. And so the next thing I could do was coach. And so I started looking, having my career that way. Yeah. We actually did an episode with the athletic trainers talking about their interactions with mm -hmm. the athletes and how much they feel like injuries play into the athletes' mindsets and motivations towards sure. their um, competition and stuff. So It's big. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah they, they, they do a really good job for us and, and keep us keep them safe from us because sometimes we think about just winning and that kind of stuff. And so they kind of help prevent some things from happening. So they're, they're really big for us. Yeah. So do you still consider yourself a competitor? Oh, yeah. By far. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's no doubt. Um, if I play with the girls or we're doing anything, I'm like, yeah, yeah, I, I, I want to win. I don't go there and just have fun. There's nothing <laughs> I do. That's, uh, I think that's just my mentality. And, and, yeah. uh, and then that's what makes, you know, you, you, have to have, you, you, you have to have that mentality for you to be successful. Because yeah. if you're just out there just having fun, then it's, it's different. You gotta have a different mentality. Do you still play pickup games, city league sure. games? We all play it with the guys, the guys out there, or the girls, basketball, and okay. every once in a while. And then I'll get out to the court with my girls playing volleyball when we get done with practice. Okay. Every so once in, a while. in college, you played basketball. Did you play any other sport when you were in college? No, okay. Just basketball. Okay. Was that in your intention? Like I'm diehard. I want to play basketball. No, I actually wanted to play football, but I played six man, so I didn't like eleven man when I came here, and so okay. um, so I kind of had to change my dynamic. And basketball is pretty universal, so I was able to to jump over and play 
So again, kind of the focus of this podcast is really about the mindset. So how do you change your mindset of going from football to basketball? What's just, the approach there? Yeah, I kind of just thought that um, it would be tough because uh, playing six man, it was just a different, you know, it was a different game. And then, mm-hmm. the, you know, basketball was a game that I played forever and kind of knew. And I was pretty decent. I wasn't like a great player, but um, so I think it, it was an easy transition for me to come to college and stuff. You know, the, okay. the, the expectations of college is totally different than what was high school. And that was the, that was an adjustment period that I had to deal with was uh, really hard was just how much time and effort it, it took to be successful in college and also the, the the dynamic of actually education too and going <laughs> to school and doing all that stuff too so um, it was a it was a learning curve first for sure so is that something that you take into your current coaching now oh, like sure. helping yeah. as you bring players in talking to them about that balance between being a scholar and being an athlete yeah so we talk about about mainly about the recruiting piece of it so when we recruit them we talked about like you know the dynamics of you being a and that's a piece that yeah, what's hard for the high school kids that they're studs of where they're at. You know, they're probably one of the best one or two players where they're at on their team. Mm-hmm. I have 23 of them, you know, on my team. And so that dynamic is really hard for them and understanding that, that they have to sacrifice and do extra. They, they already think that they're good. Well, they're good for high school when they're not they're not there at where they need to be at a college. And so there's there's so many things that have to happen for them to be successful on the college collegiate level and to be to be separating from them, the average person. Yeah. Do you see the same thing with your athletes that you're bringing in, CJ? Yeah, every, everybody that, that we try to bring in has been really successful on the high school level. And the first thing we tell them that uh, talent alone is not going to win on the collegiate level. You've got you've to outwork people because the, when they make the jump to the collegiate level, pretty much everybody that made that jump has, has a lot of talent. Mm-hmm. And then what starts to differ, differentiate them is, is how much they're willing to work and how much they're willing to sacrifice to get to the next level. And some of them make that jump really quick. Some of them it takes a while. Some of them never make that jump just because they're not willing to make that commitment. So mm-hmm. uh, that's, that's the biggest thing I see is, uh, like you said, everybody at, at high school was the, the star at their high school or the star at their sport uh, when they competed at that level. And when they make that, the, next, the jump to the next level, it gets more difficult. And then to make the jump to the next level is, is a lot more difficult because not only does the talent level raise, but the, the work ethic also, I mean, that, that level goes through the roof at, at, the, at the professional level. So what's the best piece of advice that you can give coaches to someone wanting to make that transition from high school athlete to collegiate athlete to help them be successful? What's the best piece of advice you could give them? Uh, be humble and, and work hard. You've got you've to work hard and not just, I tell my students that your work ethic carries over into everything you do. So a lot of my best competitors are also the students that have the highest grades mm-hmm. uh, because you can't just turn it on in one area and turn it off in another area. If you've got a strong work ethic, you're gonna get good grades. You're gonna be a competitor in the arena. You're, you're gonna be successful. If you have a poor work ethic, it carries over to your grades. It carries over to everything you do. So uh, that's one of the things that we really look for is is somebody that's willing to, to put uh, all the distractions aside and actually just go to work on on what they need to do whether it's in the classroom or in the arena mm-hmm. i think that a lot of it too is um um coming with an open mind um not that they're that they weren't successful where they were at or but but they have to have open mind to coaching and to uh, learning and and sacrificing things and um different opinions because you know like i tell people all the time i can't coach you the way that your coach ca- taught you because I'm not that coach, and so they have to be open to what we're trying to get them to do, and 
um, have, have understanding that he had to sacrifice things for us to be able to be successful as far as a team and an individual. Um, but I think he's right. You know, the work ethic is a piece of it that they got to have it. And if not, they, they won't be here very long or they won't be very successful. Yeah. So just to backtrack a little bit, CJ, did you grow up playing sports? I did. Uh, it's a pretty sad story. We lost the state <laughs> championship game my senior year in football and basketball. Oh. Uh, Jake Plummer was the starting quarterback of the team that beat us in, in football. And then uh, in basketball, it was actually it was pretty crazy. Uh, Chris Baumum, who's the head men's basketball coach at Odessa College, was the Gatorade Player of the Year in Idaho, and we lost that game as well. So. Oh, gosh. But, uh, yeah, played high school football and basketball. I ran track one year. Um, it kind of interfered with high school rodeo, and then obviously competed in high school rodeo mm-hmm. all, through, all through high school. Uh, went to the high school national finals, and then uh, went to college on a rodeo scholarship. My first two years, I went up in Idaho, and then I transferred to New Mexico State and finished up there. And just rodeo in college? Any just other sports? Rodeo, just rodeoed in college. Okay. So you did something that a lot of rodeo athletes don't do in that you kept competing in traditional sports while you rodeoed. And nowadays, that's getting. I feel like it's getting harder and harder for young students to do or young athletes to do. Um, even And you probably see it even in just competing in more than one sport. So how were you able to balance traditional sports and rodeo? Uh, there was a lot of times where rodeo kind of took in high school took the the back burner because where I was part of the team in football and basketball uh, we kind of you know made the decision that the team comes first and high school rodeo was an individual sport so um, there was there were times where I I uh, didn't get to go to a high school rodeo because I had a football game or had mm-hmm. a basketball game and stuff but uh, you know we made it work and it worked out well my senior year it actually the rodeo schedule worked out really well, so I didn't have to miss any of my senior year. Okay. So that was that was pretty fortunate. But you're willing to make those sacrifices. Yeah. I think the dynamic, too, of nowadays is that um, they're specializing a lot earlier than they have ever been before. Mm-hmm. And what we're, I don't know if, if Coach has seen this, CJ has seen this, but like we have kids come in with injuries that have been happening since they were younger because they're, they are specializing, so they're not um, – they're not the full athlete. I think with us playing multiple sports, I think you you have a different dynamic. You use different muscles. You learn how your body moves and works, and and what you can do push your body and how you can't push your body. And when you specialize, your body only performs one area in one area. And then so um, so we we've come to find like lately in the last couple of years that we have a lot of kids that have uh, previous injuries coming into our college um, instead of being all around. And I yeah. think that that. Not only that piece of it too, like you learn so much from football because you gotta be tough and you gotta, you know, coach are really tough or basketball, you gotta be finesse because you have to learn how your body works and everything. Track, you gotta be fast. And, and so when you have these kids that come in and they're just specialized, they don't have all those weapons in their, in their toolbox. And so then it, it hurts them when they get here. Oh, you tapped into something that I could be on a soapbox for an hour about, about the specialization. And it's probably one of my biggest regrets as a parent um, that I let my son um, stop competing in traditional sports at an earlier age than I wish I would have because I saw firsthand how poorly he developed skill-wise in some areas. You know, he was very successful as a rodeo athlete, but there were some basic athletic skills that he could not perform that I feel like would have had enhanced his performance even further. Um, so you talked about the specialization and you talked about, you know, like starting to specialize in one sport earlier and earlier. So you as you two as young adults when you were competing in sports, how influential were your parents? 
how much role did they play? Did they push you? Like, were they overbearing coaches? Were they like really involved? No, they were. I mean, they were supportive. I mean, they and they they pushed us like to be the best we could. Like me, my uh, you know, they they pushed me to be the best I could and and kept me on the right track. But they never were um, like overbearing. Like it was, they were very supportive. Um, they wanted me to be successful. Um, but I don't think it was overbearing. I don't think they made me do anything that I wanted didn't want to do. But if I did, I better do it 100 percent and sacrifice everything I needed to do for the team. I was the same way. Um, I play a lot of individual sports, ran track and everything else, and we came to the understanding that if there's a team, if a basketball game came on or something like that, then my team would came first, and so we sacrificed that time. But I don't think it was overbearing, and they, they pretty much let us decide what we wanted, or wanted me to do. So, My parents, I never felt pressured, but it was the same thing that if I was going to do something, they wanted me to be all in on it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they would support me. Uh, I can still remember my dad used to tell me that he would uh, he would work as hard as I was willing to work at something, but he wouldn't work harder at it for me. And mm-hmm. I, that always mm-hmm. that always rung with me that you know if I was willing to go and I was and I was putting a lot of effort into something, he would be right there with me, supporting me, helping me. But he wasn't going to do more than I was to try to help me uh, at that. He would you know, and that's I think that's something that I carry over with my athletes now is I can't want it more than they want it for themselves. So. Mm-hmm. Um, you know that's that's something that I think I was really fortunate. And then I had some really great coaches in high school. I still keep in in touch with uh, several of my high school coaches. I bet I talk to them at least once a month and have oh, ever wow. since I graduated from high school. Yeah, me too. That's neat. that's the reason why I'm doing I, what I'm doing because I had a coach that believed in me, and I had coaches that were really hard and kind of did it. Then what, what we see a lot of times that they don't see their full potential because um, they may be pushing. They may think in the hard, the tough love, but like I had a coach that never even like. Like he just had expectations, and and because of that, that's what I wanted to push to my kids now, and that's why I've coached now because of my coach. Yeah. yeah. Same same thing. My high school football coach, when I was in high school, told me that I needed to be a coach, and I used to just laugh at him and told him, "Yeah, whatever." <laughs> yeah. And now he laughs at me, and he's like, "I knew back when you were when you were eighteen years old that that's what you needed to be doing." So, wow. Yeah. yeah. That's interesting. Do you know what it was that he saw in you that made you? I, I have no idea, and I've never had that conversation with him. I need to visit with him sometime yeah, about that. Yeah, that'd be a great conversation. Yeah, yeah love I, to be a fly on the wall on that yeah, one. Yeah, mine's the same way. I think, too, I think it's just like if you looked at, well, look at both of our demeanors and, and what we want. We have we have high expectations of ourselves, and I think we expect that of our kids. And, and you know, we've I think I've had that for a long time, and I'm sure Coach did, too, and just um, – and we have a good work ethic, and that's what my coach told me. Is like he just knew I had high expectations and I had good work ethic, and and that's what we and that's all we want our kids to do too. I know that's one of the first in our first team meeting. That's one of the first things we go over with my team. I I hardly have any team rules, but I have expectations I give them, and I give them expectations of what I expect of them in the community, what I expect of them as a student, what I expect of them as a team member, and what I expect of them as a person, and. What I tell them is I was like, this is, guys, this is your roadmap. If I asked you to get to New York City and I give you a, a visa card and said, you got as much money as you need to get there, but you can't use your phone, can't use a map, and you got to leave from Alpine, Texas, how soon can you get there? So these expectations, if you follow these and you meet these expectations, you're going to get to where you want to go a lot quicker. You're going to eventually can get there going the other route, and it's going to be a lot of, you know, wrong roads, wrong turns and stuff, but... These expectations will help you get to where you want to go a lot quicker if you if you do them. That's you know, a good you analogy. Can, you can yeah. choose to, to not do them, and you're gonna ha- you're gonna get sidetracked, and you're gonna run into some roadblocks and stuff. But uh, 
I think that the expectations are one of the biggest things in, in coaching, uh, and especially if you've got kids that are willing to meet those expectations. And I think uh, Coach, has, has, he's built a really good culture, and I know that's what I try to do is I've got a lot of really good students that they'll hold themselves accountable to those, and they'll hold those around them accountable. And when you start getting that, it makes it makes our job as coaches a lot easier because they're gonna they're gonna basically start policing each other, and we don't have to because they hey, you know we we don't do that here, and mm-hmm. makes makes our job a lot easier. Yes, I agree. So, are y'all able to see what see in your athletes what your coaches saw in you? Do you see any kids now that you're like, oh, you should be a coach? Yes, I've got two or three that I'd love to hire as coaches because uh, they've just. You know, it's it's hard to say what it is, and I've got several of them with with different strengths and different qualities. But I've got two or three kids that'll be outstanding coaches uh, when they get the opportunity to be coaches. Just uh, that it factor, right? Just that it factor. They they communicate well. They um, they have the ability to to uh, to reach a lot of students in different ways, and I think that's one of the things that. I know I see going back to basketball officials is there's a lot of coaches that coach one style. Like Coach said, he's got 23 different kids. I've got uh, over 40. There's probably 30 or 40 different ways I've got to communicate with those kids because some of them, if there's some guys I can get after, and I mean I can get after them, and they're going to take it well, they're going to change. If I do that same thing to other people, they might start crying, and then they're done for the day. So Mm -hmm. you have to know how to communicate with every student differently to get them to reach – or get them to do what you need them to do or what you're asking them to do. And I think that's one of the biggest challenges uh, that I struggled as when I first started coaching was I tried to coach just one way. And then, you know, then you start to realize, hey, I've got to do this a lot of different ways to to reach all these different kids. When you start doing that, it uh, it takes a lot more time, but I think you, you become a lot better coach. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I think um – you know, I, I, I have a bunch of kids. That, I actually, a lot of my kids come back in GA for me that mm-hmm. played for me and stuff because they have that, like, that it factor. And it's just the, it's the, they have expectations of themselves is the biggest thing, and they hold themselves accountable. And I think as a coach, that's probably all you, you have to because you, you're responsible for so many people and so many things that you have to hold yourself accountable. So I think that's part of the it factor. But, yeah, we have a bunch of kids that are that the same way. But he's right. It, the the Early in my career, I was the same way. I just coached one way, and then, then you kind of realize that you have to find different ways, especially with this new generation. You know, this mm-hmm. new generation is totally different than what we grew up on. It was like, you know, we had the tough love, the real tough love. It was like you do it or, you know, or <laughs> something else happened. And, yeah. like, and you can't do that these, these days, and so you got to find different ways to communicate and get them to perform the way you want to perform. Yeah, I've heard some horror stories about coaches who are like, you know, used to coaching the old school way. And again, with today's times and the you know changes that have yeah. happened in society, that it just doesn't work and it's not taken the same way. And, you know, it seems like coaches' jobs are on the line a lot easier. And, you yes. know, anything can be recorded on a phone and anything yes. can be said. And I feel like, do you feel nervous about, you know, things that you do as coaches? Do you worry about, like, am I pushing them too far? Am I saying the wrong thing? Especially coaching students of the opposite gender do you worry about that anything along those lines i don't i mean i don't know how coach feels but i don't i just feel like because my intentions are get to get the best out of them and and make them the best they can be not only just on the court or on the field or but in the classroom and being humans too because like you know they 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 gotta understand like there's consequences to everything they do 
good or bad. If you do something good, you're going to get some good rewards. If you do something bad, there's going to be negative consequences. So I, I don't worry about it because in my if I think if I had cruel intentions, like I was just trying to be mean to a kid or kid be ugly with them, then that would bother me. But in my heart, I know that I'm trying to just make them the best they can be. And so sometimes people, that's interpreted differently. Even, mm-hmm. with, even with the kids that I have now, like sometimes they feel like, I'm on them. I'm getting mad at them, but it's like they don't understand. They don't see what we see. Mm-hmm. They don't see their potential, and that's our job is to let them make them see what we see in them. Yeah, see them the way that you see mm-hmm. them. Yeah, I, I agree 100. percent I don't. I, I. Anybody's welcome to come sit in my practices. I don't think there's anything to hide uh, what we do at practice. I'm not a yeller. I'm not a screamer. I've seen coaches like that. Um, I'm. I'm the. My coaching style is I'll pull somebody off to the side and say, hey, this is what I, th- I think you need to do or this is what you need to change. And I try to do it in more of a one-on-one setting instead mm-hmm. of I think I get a lot better um, a lot better uh, reaction from the kids doing it that way than if you call them out in front of a group and stuff. Every now and then, that's, that's probably still necessary, especially um, when, when what we're doing deals with livestock. And there's times I'll call them out with, if they're – putting themselves where they can injure themselves or others or, or livestock, I'll, I'll call them out in front of the group there. But for the most part, coaching, um, I try to, I prefer to do it one-on-one uh, as individuals and stuff. But uh, same thing, everything we're doing, I, I tell the kids that my success now, I said I haven't scored a point in college rodeo since 1998 and I'll never score another point in college rodeo. So my success now is based on your success. If, if I'm successful, that means you're successful. So you've got to understand that for me to be successful, I have to find a way for you to be successful. And that's what I'm trying to do. And just because you don't always agree with what I'm doing or how I'm doing it doesn't mean that I'm not trying to, to make you successful. And it always comes from the place of best intentions. Yeah. 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 So I want to backtrack just a minute because we kind of started talking about parents a minute ago and what your parents were like. What is it like today? We talked about the differences in students just now, like that it's a little bit different today. You have to coach differently. So what are the parents of today like compared to parents of years ago? Um, I, I, I guess I can do it two ways. So one, one of the things I think um, here in college, we don't have to deal with them very often just because they're adults and there's a lot of things that have to happen so we don't deal with them a lot as far as that goes. Um, I can talk a little bit more about the, the high school kid. You know, I, I coached high school for a long, long period of time. And I think the dynamic with the kid, with the parents nowadays is that they're, they're, they're calling helicopter parents, right? Because they're like always hovering on top of them and everything else. And, and I think that's good sometimes because they want the best for their kids too. Mm-hmm. But sometimes they don't let them fail. And, and so when they fail, they don't know how to react to it. And then their parents don't know how to react to it. So they're first... In, their first, um, the parents' first thing that they want to do is go fight for them instead of just letting them fail. And there's nothing wrong with failing. It's just that's where we learn and that's how we got to get, get, get better and that's how we, we move on and, and mature. And and sometimes I think when we get kids that come in here, you can tell the ones that, that parents are kind of holding them back or kind of coddling them a little bit compared to the ones that just let them go and not not freedom, but like understand that they, they fail, they, they don't do well, they're not the best people, they're, they're, they're still working and so those are the kids that usually are a little bit more successful in this level. 
Yeah, I think we've actually progressed from helicopter parents to what they call now lawnmower parents, yes. that they're just mowing down every obstacle that the kids might face. Yes. Um, but to follow up on what you said, I saw a quote from Venus Williams the other day that she was like, or Venus or Serena, I can't remember which one it was, and she was like, I really hate to lose and I really hate to fail. But she was like, I can tell you for sure that I've definitely learned more from every failure than from any win sure. that I've ever had. And I've won some really big things in life, but I've definitely never learned as much from that as I have from my failures. So I think you're right on that, you know, the parents need to step back and let the kids fail and have to figure it out for themselves a little bit. Because I have my, my, you know, Annika plays for me. Um, my son's here playing basketball at Soros. And Annika's too. your daughter, just Annika, so that everybody listeners yeah, know. Annika's my daughter, and then I have a kid that's in a, a junior in high school, and and you know, as a parent, that's what we want to do. We want to protect them and everything. But sometimes you gotta let them understand that they have to fail and they gotta they they gotta figure it out on their own because well, one day we're not going to be here. And then you know, as a parent, they need to be able to function, and so mm -hmm. they have to do that stuff. Well, and it seems like the parents now, because like you said about the specialization at an earlier age, it's like the you know the rings at t-ball stage and the you know world you know we're traveling to world championships in eighth grade and we're flying across the country to go to a tournament you know that those things didn't happen years right. ago and so there's much higher level of competition and much sure. more opportunity to specialize at an earlier age and much more opportunity for the parents to be involved than when it was such a team sport like you talked about so what advice would you have for parents for aside from you know being able to step back how would you advise parents to best support their kids as they you know approach high school and wanting to become a collegiate athlete I think the biggest thing is just support them and be and be their parent and then be their, their supporter they don't have to be their their everything in their you know to shelter them or you know get rid of all the obstacles that they need to get rid of they need to figure it out on their own I mean there's we're there to guide them as parents as coaches too like I think we're a very I tell my my kids I'm an extension of their parents because I, I wanted them to develop as a, a young woman and, and develop into a great person and and have all these characteristics that will be them successful out of when they get out of Saw Ross. And so I think we do that really, really well. <clears throat> but I don't, I don't think as a parent, I, I, the social media part of it has changed the dynamic of individualizing. Oh gosh, yeah. And that's where it came back because it, they see all these kids doing these things and they think they have to do it. And it's okay to be an individual and do it your own way. They don't, don't, don't follow the, the, the norm. Uh, or what you think the norm is, because really the norm is not really normal. Um, so the social media part of it, like you see these kids going to those tournaments and everything else, just it doesn't make you know, a bad player if you don't do those things. And so uh, I just think that you don't have to follow in somebody else's footsteps. You know, Just do what's best for your kid. And, and if it's playing, and it's playing at college level, it's playing at the high schools. And if it's not playing at the high school level or college level, that's okay too. There's nothing wrong with it. Yeah. Our sport's a lot different. Well, I was going to say, he said something that I think you probably will tap into, that in rodeo, there's no, especially at a younger level, there's no coach, right? The parent is the coach. There's no coach. The parent's the coach. And then it's individualized. So if I right. go out there and I'm not, he could have a weak player on his on his court out there in volleyball or a, a, put a weak player out on the softball team, and he could have a great team around him, and they can cover up for the weaknesses of that player. If I stick somebody that's not ready to ride a bull on a bull, Everybody's going to know when, about, <laughs> when they pop the gate that he's not ready to ride a bull. Less than eight seconds, yeah. So uh, our sports is, is a lot different because if they're not at the level they want to be at, they can't hide it. Mm -hmm. um, because mm -hmm. when you go out and compete, everybody gets the same opportunity to compete. Um, I've got 40, 
42 kids on the team this year, and when we go to a college rodeo, all 42 of them get to enter. Only 10 of them count for my points team. Mm -hmm. But all the other kids, even if they're not ready, they still get to compete, and they can't argue with their results. That's why I tell them is the results don't lie. Um, well, and they still represent our university because, but university. you have no, uh, you have no control over them because they're autonomous. Yep. So they can enter under the Sil Ross umbrella, but you didn't pick them for the team. But when people see them compete, they don't know which ones are for the team and which ones aren't, which ones count for our points and which ones don't. So any other school or onlooker, or by you know, like fan, spectator doesn't know the difference. Yeah. Yeah. So going back to the parents, getting them ready to compete, how do you, what advice do you have? Because again, it is different. The parent is the coach. So the parent. I think uh, it, it goes back to the conversation we were having a little bit earlier. I want students that competed in other sports in high school mm -hmm. um, because most of them, uh, when they were raised, they were like in high school rodeo. It was all about them. Parents were the coach. They hauled them to the rodeos. Everything was about them. And when they get to college, if they didn't play team sports, when they get to college and practice is, is geared to a team setting, they struggle because they want it to all be about them. I've got, I've got several people on the team right now that they wear yacht of practice because they want it to be all about them instead of, I want it to be for the good of the team. You know, there's a lot of days we're practicing for the good of the team and they think that it needs to be all about them that day. And they really struggle with that. And I would rather see kids participate in football, basketball, track, do these other sports so that when they get to the collegiate level, one, they're, they're a lot broader, but I think it makes them a lot more coachable mm -hmm. if, if they've competed in other sports because if you competed in football and you had a hard coach or you know an old school coach and he was pretty hard on you and then you competed in basketball and you had a guy that was a technique oriented coach and then you competed in track and you had a, a coach that was a disciplinarian, when you get to college, you can kind of blend all of those and you, you adapt a lot better to being coached because you've had all these different coaching styles when you're in high school versus most of the students that I see that specialized had their parents coaching them and it was all about them. So they, they struggle on a, on a team setting. Yeah, I hope y'all will go back and listen to the other episodes then with the athletes talking and listen to what they have to say about what motivated them to compete at the collegiate level because the answers are really unique and it's very interesting that you can tell the difference about even if you didn't know which athlete answered the question, you'll be able to tell which ones are the collegiate athletes versus the rodeo athletes and it's really interesting what motivates them. Um, so I brought you two in and I thought you were an interesting pairing because Coach Canova, you're in a really unique position that you coach two collegiate sports and that doesn't happen at the college level very often that someone can coach two sports and then you're, com you're coaching females as a male. Um, and I know that essentially that's what it's like to be a rodeo coach, right? You're coaching seven or nine different, you ten, know, ten. sorry, so 10. You're coaching 10 different completely different sports essentially you know like it's not even like just different positions on the football team I was trying to decide if I was really saying it correctly and thinking of it correctly but really I mean because they're not a team working for one win I mean they are but not in the same way right um, and so then you are in that unique position that you're coaching two sports and trying to balance it so I know that I'm doing yoga for some of your athletes right now and I'm listening to them about what parts of the season that they're in right now and when they see you and what they are allowed to do with you during off season and in season and so how do you balance and how do you keep it in your mind which sport you're in and how do you keep it straight and how do you like the rigor of that must just be huge yeah, it's it's crazy, and then um, we then you add the dynamic of assistant athletic director. So I'm working with Amanda now, so That's we're kind of so we're added that. So that that third piece has a kind of um, we we a lot of time management. That's what it what it comes down to. But um, 
that, that's a piece where it becomes where we recruit kids that that do a lot of stuff on their own you know and that's something that we talk about at the very beginning that there's expectations on the right there's times that i can work with them there's times that i can't work with them and they understand that and so during the times I can't, they have to do a lot of stuff on their own, and so they have to be really disciplined and really focused and understand that there's any result of it, and and so they have to do a lot of that stuff on their own. And then um, the my two sports are pretty similar, kind of like uh, Coach was talking about. Like they're they're uh, we call it black and white because there's numbers, and then there's you can't lie about numbers. And so um, I like that piece about it too because you know you can tell me you're the best player in the world, but if you don't have the numbers to show it it doesn't don't really affect anything so um, and just to remind the listeners your two sports are uh, volleyball and softball there you go yeah and so yeah so they, they have the same kind of percentage any percentages and errors and there's a lot of stuff that kind of go into it, but um i think this is the biggest piece, piece of it is just uh, i always just try to keep the team in in mind and understanding that there's a goal at the end and really try to stay focused on on the the process and Right now, you know, we're at the beginning of the fall for softball, and we're in the middle of the season of volleyball in in the fall. And so, um, you know, I think it's, it gets a pretty gets crazy sometimes. But I have really good kids. I really discipline. They do a lot of stuff on their own, which is good. Well, yeah, I definitely want to compliment you because I was talking to one of your senior players the other day, and the leadership that they exhibit, and the you know the role that they take on to support the younger athletes, and to make sure that they are being onboarded and brought in and learning kind of the team way of doing things is really impressive. And they take you know they take pride in that, and it's really important to them. Well, it's like Coach CJ was talking about earlier was that when they start uh, patrolling themselves and, and holding each other accountable and and having their expectations among themselves and our job becomes really really easy because then we just come in and do the x's and o's and do do some some things like that but when they, that's the upperclassmen hold my other underclassmen accountable for, for things and they they do a lot of learning they do a lot of teaching for those the younger younger ones and so there's also too like there's things that they can teach them that i can't you know because they're they're in it they they may know a little uh, courts and things that can can make them a little bit be a little bit more successful so i think um, they have a big impact on on what our program does. It's Dr. really cool. It, yeah, it's really cool to interact with them to see. Like she was the one I was talking to. She was frustrated that she was like, I've never had to deal with these kind of issues. Like they're bringing in this group of freshmen this year is bringing in new issues that we've never had happen on the team before. So right. she's. It's a great learning opportunity for her as well in her development as a leader as sure. well. So it's really neat to see that being passed down. Who can I ask you who it was? Is it Cameron? Well, yeah, but okay, I wasn't going to say. It on I knew there. it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but they're also really responsive too. That's the other thing that I think is really impressive in trying to balance their studies. Like you mentioned earlier, CJ, about them being students and athletes, and you mentioned also Coach Cannon yeah. about them trying to balance it all. That they're really responsive, you know, when practice times change or workout times change, and they're like they are really communicative. They send out a message, and within five minutes, everybody's there. They drop whatever they're doing, and they show up. Sure. And I think that that speaks highly because we're a D three school, and it's just different at the D three level than at some of the other levels. Sure. Yeah. So what's it like for you to coach so many different sports with so many different rules? Um, I know y'all were talking about you coach a um, sports officiating class. So you're all about the rules and the numbers and the X's and O's and where the lines are and the, you know, the things that go along with it. But in your sport, it's a little bit different, but there's still so many rules and logistics and things that have to go into it. A lot of it goes back to the expectations. Uh, you know, if we have, if we lay out the expectations, um, they know what they can expect from me, and I know what I expect of them. And then we set up our practices. I have a, I actually use an app, uh, InstaTeam, and we send out our practice schedule every day. Everybody knows what our practice schedule is, what time they need to be there, when they need to be there uh, for their specific events. And then, like Coach said, 
I've been really lucky. My my probably my most difficult year was my first year here. I had no team leaders. Uh, I didn't have a very big group, which made it nice. But I didn't have any uh, really good leaders, and my best leaders were freshmen that year, and that was a really challenging year. And then after that, I, I've I've been really fortunate. I've had a lot of really good. Uh, actually a lot of really great leaders on the team the last few years mm -hmm. and when you have team leaders and they you know I send out our, our our message for practice and then they they get after people and say hey we need to be there early we need to do this we need to have this ready to go and they kind of take care of a lot of practice I thought one of the neatest things or one of the best testaments to the system and the students that we have in our program last year when my dad passed away I took off a week and um, basically put a bunch of my team captains in charge of practice and they ran practice. I mean, you couldn't, have, you wouldn't have known the difference if I was there or if I wasn't there um, because they just, they all stepped up and just ran it just how it was supposed to be run and stuff and did it on their own. And I thought that was a really great testament to how they've developed, uh, how our system runs and then how they've developed as leaders that, uh, you know, they can, they can step in and fill in in those, in those roles when they need to and they don't have to be asked or told to do that. But as far as going to each individual event, we schedule specific times for each event. And one of the most difficult things I think is, is going from, if, if we're gonna breakaway rope or tie goats first in practice, and then we go to buck and bulls, there's a totally different shift in mentality there. And uh, the best way I've heard it described is, is Brendan O'Reilly, who's a UFC fighter, who I've, I've done a podcast with him. He said that, you know, these guys need, like the rough stock riders have to train like they're in a UFC fight because if you, if you mess up, it could literally cost you your life. Mm -hmm. You know, so you have to have that mentality every time you go out there. You can't take a day off at practice when you're getting on bulls or when you're getting on horses. We're in the breakaway roping, goat time, team roping. You can kind of take a day off and have a day where you just kind of go easy. So I tell my guys, hey, if you're not feeling good today, if you're not 100%, if you're not all in, I don't want you getting on because uh, you, you can't just kind of cruise through practice on, on those events. There's no half speed. There's no walkthroughs. It's, it's all or nothing. So mm -hmm. um, we have to have that. You know, you have to really be watching for that. If somebody's a little bit sick under the weather, or if you can just tell they're distracted by something, you have to say, hey, I want you to sit out today because it's not going to do you any good to get on today. Yeah, that's amazing. So I know that you are probably a, what I would consider like the new breed of rodeo coach in that you are a true coach. You're not just the leader. Because, you know, a lot of schools, it's a club. It's not a necessarily an organized sport. So I've seen, you know, you showed me books that you're reading and things that you're doing, and you talked about how you take on your sports officiating role that you're actually observing other coaches and learning from them. So what do you all do? Because you are so busy. You have so much going on. How do you keep yourselves inspired and motivated? And how do you continue to develop yourselves as coaches to keep, you know, trying to make your programs better and also make yourselves better and stay want to stay in the fight? I think it's, it's uh, I, a lot big part of it's the students when you have students that are excited to be there and excited to to learn and do better it's exciting to go to practice every day when mm -hmm. you have students that are are highly motivated and and stuff it it, it challenges me to to be better uh on the flip side when you have students that don't want to be there boy somebody just it's it's hard to get out there and, and go work with them just because you know you kind of you kind of dread it but um I've been really fortunate because the last few years I've had some students that are, they compete at the highest level and stuff. So that makes it, it, uh, it 
you know, it makes it exciting to go to practice every day because, yeah. you know, um, three years ago, Kai was here. He was ranked number one in the world while he was here professionally. We've got Tristan, who's ranked number five in the world right now. We've got Cole Franks, who's ranked number 10 in the world. We've got, you know, that would be the equivalent of having first round NFL draft picks here on our rodeo team. And, you know, you don't get to see that type of talent every day. And we've been pretty blessed to have a lot of it here at one time. So, um, and I think a lot of that carries over because, you know, they see what it, Tristan was here when Kai was here. Tristan saw what it took for Kai to get to that level. So Tristan worked to that level. Now Tristan is at, at that level or higher. And now we've got these underclassmen coming up and they see Tristan at practice every day and know what it takes for him to be at that level. So the bar's been set. They know if you want to get to that level, this is how hard you're going to have to work. This is what you've got to do. Yeah. So it makes it easier for those. Same thing. Those guys are showing those, these underclassmen the roadmap of what it takes to be successful. Yeah, they say you rise to the level of your competition. So yeah, I think like for me, I I, I love the challenge of every day. Like every day, like it's never it's ne there's never been a day that I've gone to practice and it's the same thing like ever because mm -hmm. it's it, it's because you have different you have people that don't feel good today or they're not working hard today and you and the challenge of me trying to get them to work to the potential that they need to be working at that time is a challenge. Um, you know, my volleyball team right now we we start off really really well and we kind of hit a slump and. So that's challenging to me to see like what's going on. Why, why is it not working right now? You know, and I read a lot of books too. You know, I, I look at a lot of coaches, you know, I look at CJ for a lot of, you know, the way he handles people and the way that they do things and all the successful coaches, you just do that. You try to pick the, what they do really well and you try to put it into, you know, see, we can use it. But I think the challenge of every day is, is pretty neat because it's never the same. I've never had, not in the last 23 years I've been coaching, not one of my days has been exactly the same. And I think that keeps me motivated and going too as well. Yeah. I've been really fortunate. Um, my bachelor's was in journalism. Okay. So no background in coaching. When I started coaching, uh, they told me they would pay for my master's. So I went back and got my master's in coaching education from Ohio University. When I was doing that, I got to, my cohort had a bunch of different coaches from all across the country. I'm friends with baseball coach that coaches at West Point. Um, I went and spent a week with Boise State football, uh, I don't know, it's been about 10 years ago now, when Coach Peterson was there. Kellen Moore was actually their starting quarterback, and I got to, to go with them and watch their practices, watch their team meetings. Uh, basically, I was just a fly on the wall for a week, and then in 2017, I went and spent a week with the U.S. Olympic wrestling team up in Colorado Springs just to see how they run their practices. Purely for the coaching just, aspect? Just for the coaching aspect. Mm -hmm. See how they do their mental toughness, see how they you know, just what they do to get their team ready to compete at, at that level. And so I've been really fortunate that I've got to be around, you know, uh, some of the best coaches or, you know, watch some of the best coaches. And then, um, you know, like Coach Canaba, um, we've, we've had some really good coaches through here. When I was at Odessa College, we had some really good coaches there as well. And just, you know, every now and then, if you're struggling with something, you can call them up and say, hey, I'm, this is going on, what would you do? And, yeah. and you can bounce ideas off of them. Uh, or they can tell you, hey, this is this is what I've had to do. Or there's been times where I've come up and talked to these guys. Hey, one of my kids is having a problem with this professor. Any advice and you know stuff like that. That uh, it's just it's just a great resource to have other coaches to to work with and bounce ideas off of as well. For sure. I grew up in a really unique neighborhood where we called it Coach's Row. And I grew up next door to the head baseball coach, the head football coach, the junior athletic director, um, a um, 
baseball coach. Like there was literally five coaches on my street um, in my neighborhood and I grew up with their kids. And so as kids, we formed our own like sports teams. We had our own uniforms. We did everything. We were super competitive. Um, and my parents were not coaches. And um, again, I'm not, I call myself a fit league, not an athlete, but um, I got to go to coaching school with them one summer. And I just distinctly remember that and how cool that was. And I, you know, as growing up and going through the teacher education program, learned about coaching school. So is that something that is still offered at the collegiate level? Do you still comp- do that, Coach Canova? Sure. They, there's a, there's co- coaches in schools for both my sports, or every sport that you can go to. But um, and they have it in high school, too, as well. I, I spoke at a lot of the, those things. And, and that's the same thing, too. It's just, it's just mainly like the, the like to you know be able to bounce things off of each other and see what things work and the then yeah the networking the the other piece of it you know the the games has changed I, I don't I don't know how much rodeo can change but <laughs> but like you know um, you know the game has changed um, you know from when I started to to now you know so I think you have to be up with the times and and know how to deal with these these new things that are going on in the, in our sport but uh, yeah there's still still a lot of that stuff still available for for us to to learn. Yeah. Is there anything like that in rodeo? Well, I've I've never for rodeo. There's there's rodeo camps and schools. You you know about those all across the country, but they're more individualized. I've actually gone back to the global coaching seminar there in Ohio twice. Okay. Um, I went back once just to go. They have like little sessions all day for three days, and then the second year I went, I actually was a presenter back there. Okay, great. And uh, did it on developing mental toughness, but. Um, one of the things I think is for me to get better as a coach, like you said earlier, rodeos, it, all the coaches that or a lot of the coaches I know were more of managers of programs and stuff. And I try to actually coach and there's no place, you know, for, for rodeo coaches to go learn. I've gone and sat in on some practices of some of the coaches I really like, you know, Brett Frank's up in Clarendon. I really look up to him, think he does a great job up there. And there's a couple other coaches. Um, but what I do is try to go to uh, sports outside and, and think outside the box because um, every coach has something to offer, something that I can learn from. And whether it's a golf coach, whether it's a volleyball coach, whether it's a football coach, there's something that I could probably take from their program that could make my program better. So I think that to get better as a coach, you've got to think outside the box and use use what other coaches use their experience to, to your advantage as well. Oh, absolutely. And that's definitely something I bragged about you um, to other parents when they were here for the college rodeo. I was talking about how you are a true coach and you, are, again, are not just that cowboy or just that manager, that you are a true rodeo coach. And I think that that is something that is absolutely unique to Sil Ross. And again, to go back to our history of being the founders of Collegiate Rodeo, that we are bringing that back. And we are so fortunate to have you here. And I think that that um, is something that can definitely grow our program. And it sounds like you're doing the same thing, Coach Canova, really being a student of the game and a student of coaching and trying to continually stay, keep yourself motivated. Um, and you brought up an aspect that you said you presented on mental toughness. So what would be your advice on being mentally tougher? Well, I think the biggest thing for, for a student to feel mentally tough is they have to know they prepared for the situation. Mm-hmm. Um, if I tell my kids, you can't do something at a rodeo that you've never done at practice before, or you know whether it may not be that you've that you've gone out there and been 90 points, but you have to have put yourself in that situation where you have to ride the bull to win the national championship. You have to do this to, and you have to, you have to do it mentally in practice. And if you're not doing that, if you're not challenging yourself in practice, when you're challenged in a competition setting, it becomes a lot more difficult. I know the, the best contestants I have, um, when the pressure's on, they can deliver. And I know they can deliver in pressure situations, and they know they can deliver in pressure situations. And that's, 
that's when you become mentally tough is when you can when you can handle those situations when those situations aren't too big for you and and we try to make practices as competitive as we can so that when they get to pressure situations they can handle that pressure it's not something that they've never seen or never felt before yeah when you take a shortcut and lie about how many times you rope the dummy or how much preparation you did then when you go into that competition in the back of your mind you have that in your head of i didn't really prepare for this how many free throws you shot and stuff like that you know guys oh i can hit 100 in a row well that's fine can you hit one when the game's on the line Mm -hmm. you know that's you can hit 100 in a row when the empty with an empty gym but i want to see somebody that can make it when when uh, you got to make that shot to win the game. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to open a can of worms for you. I, I don't think you'll, you, you may, <laughs> you may want to come back to it, but I think like with mine, as far as like um, the mental side of it is that I coach girls. And so what you find with girls is that um, they lack confidence sometimes. Mm-hmm. And I think um, sometimes they kind of feel like they don't, they're not supposed to be able to do what they're supposed to be doing, or they have the ability to do that when they do. And, the mental side of the girls like i i'm i feel like more nowadays i'm building more confidence in the girls to be able to perform than i had ever before because most of the time you know because they're in college and they, they're good athletes and they're probably the top of the best well they're actually they're in top five percent because right now five percent athletes get to play at the college level mm-hmm. d1 d2 d3 in the juco and so they are an elite an elite athlete but the part that that gets us is that I had to I'm, I I have to keep instilling confidence in my women and my young girls because for some reason they right now you know, this generation just doesn't have it yet they don't have that so that's I think that's where my where I have to come in and kind of have to keep telling them like hey you can do this you've already trained for it. you are I already put you in that situation now just go do it and so we, we really have to build a lot more confidence than I have ever had before and I think that's definitely a cultural difference I know from um, moving from like the DFW area out here to far west Texas that I saw that was something that took me a minute to get used to that the females didn't speak up as much in class they weren't the one, first ones to raise their hands they weren't the ones volunteering to be the you know demonstrator in class for activities and stuff mm-hmm. um, that it it's it's a different culture right. here than in other maybe in other areas of Texas or other parts of the country so mm-hmm. I can see that for sure um, is do you think it's the same with rodeo athletes do you feel like the confidence in females is different than males it is uh, I was just when you start saying that I start going through some of my my best competitors uh, you know over the last couple of years Timmy and Hadley they're both very confident mm-hmm. um, you know that was never a problem with those two but some of my I've got some other girls that are just as capable of those but they they lack the confidence and when he said that I was, I was just going through you know a bunch of the girls on my team and I was like yeah they they if they had more confidence they'd be a lot more competitive is there any way that you could distinguish pretty quickly when you're recruiting or when you're getting ready to pick your 10 that are going to be the competitive 10 for your team how do you decide and like when you're picking your starting lineup is there a way to tell who's mentally tougher who's more prepared who's more ready not just skill wise but like on point mentally and like can handle the pressure what's your like how do you decide is there anything that tips you off i like to go with my people that are competing a lot um you know like tristan right now it's it's hard to bet against him he's top five in the world he's he's won over seventy thousand dollars in the last 30 days riding bulls he doesn't think he can be bucked off right now and lately it's proven true so and that's the key thing that he just said he doesn't think that he can be bucked off and that's key yeah and then uh 
what I see is is the kids that compete and aren't afraid to go compete are the ones that normally do better at the college level. Uh, if I've got somebody that looks really good in the practice pin, but they're afraid to go put their money up and enter someplace, whether it's a local jackpot, whether it's a it's a little rodeo, you know, up in Monahans or or Fort Stockton, when they're afraid to go compete, that tells me that they don't have the confidence to go to go enter and and see where they're at. Versus, I've got guys like Tristan. You know, he'll he'll fly to California to get on one bull. And he knows he's got $2,000 in flights and stuff to go out there. And if he wins the rodeo, he can win seven or $8,000. But he's like, shoot, that's a good bet for me. You know, so then I've got others that they won't drive five miles away to go in or a, a jackpot here in town. So, And I think mine, like as far as, my, as what I look at, I look at the kids that, that are not afraid to fail um, because they're going to fail. Like even, you know, bug, getting bugged off of bulls and stuff like that. Like, like our girls, they're going to fail. You know, I want the ones that are going to, are willing to put themselves out there and and fail. Like I rather I rather a kid hit a ball out and going 100 miles an hour than one that's going to try to tip it or try, and, you know, let the other team lose a game for us. You know, we got to be aggressive and and do those things. And so, when I'm doing my team, that's kind of the same thing. We we want the kids that are going to that feel like confident that they're going to do it. And, and if they don't, then they're okay with it too. But they got to put themselves out there to sacrifice for the team. And sometimes these days, some people don't are not willing to do that yet. Not yet. They, they'll, they, they'll probably get there, but just at this point, they're not there yet. So to kind of put it in basketball terms, where we started this conversation, do you want the kid that wants the ball in their hands with the last two Absolutely. seconds to make the game-winning shot? Right. Yep. Yeah. Well, to kind of bring this full circle, y'all talked about some key things that I really want to follow up and like tag into and make sure that the listeners really heard. And if they didn't get it when we first talked about it, to go back and listen again, that some of the key skills that y'all mentioned were um, communication, work ethic, time management, confidence, mental toughness. And if you look at that list of skills, those are also the top soft skills that employers are looking for. And one of the things that you both talked about is that you're not just trying to develop proficient athletes and successful athletes, but they're also trying to develop better people um, for their lives not and for society, not just for you know the actual team or the time that they're here at Sol Ross, but you want to have an impact on them for a lifetime and that some coach at some point did that for you too. And so when you talk about these skills that are really important to you as coaches, these are also the same skills that employers are looking for so we know that um, athletes are um, have higher rates of getting jobs they have higher salaries so I think that when you are talking about developing your skills you are all, I want to pat you on the back that you're doing great work and that maybe you don't always realize that what you're doing is making them more employable and making them better employees and helping to boost up their earning potential when they graduate but all of the things that you mentioned really are doing that so I want to finish up with two questions I want to know what is your best best piece of advice for someone wanting to be a collegiate athlete I mean I already asked you like kind of tra making that transition from high school to college but if you were going to coach someone and they were going to come in and play for you you talked about giving them the roadmap you talked about having the confidence but you know like if you could just be a world-class speaker and speak to the world about being the best athlete what would you say you got to be willing to learn um, you, you've got to throw your ego aside and you've got to be come in and, and be willing to learn and willing to work hard and I'm going to go sacrifice. There's a lot of stuff you got to sacrifice if you want to be a great athlete. Um, it may be, you know, getting off your phone, you know, staying off of social media for three hours to go work. Or it may be where you have to sacrifice, you know, going out with friends to go eat or do whatever just to make sure you get to take care of your schoolwork. I think, I think sacrifice is probably one of the biggest ones, too. 
Yeah. You mentioned phones and social media. I had my class this morning look at how many times they'd picked up their phone on average per day, um, over 300 times. Sure. Um, and we didn't even get to go down the social media rabbit hole, which I would have loved to dig into you with y'all this morning. But my final question I want to ask you is, as coaches and as competitors, because it sounds like you both still have that competitive mindset, I want to know, do you hate to lose or do you love to win more? What drives you? Is it that you hate to lose or that you love to win? I think I hate to lose. Um, and I, I just feel like, like just as, a, as me, I think the competitive part of it is, um, and I think that's a challenge of it, is, is not trying to lose, you know, and, and putting people in a place to be successful. But I, I really think, I, I love to win too, but I, I think the, the losing part of it is, is, um, is a piece that keeps me fired up to go. You know, when you win all the time, and it's, it's fun winning, don't get me wrong, but I think I learned so much more from from the losses and than than the wins and the wins, you know. They always tell you talk about if you talk to anybody, any that's anybody as a coach, you know, it always says players win and coaches lose lose the games, and so I kind of feel like that's way I learn and get better and keeps me motivated. I'd go the opposite. I'd say I love to win because I've got. 42 kids and a lot of them are entered in the same events and only one kid's going to win that weekend um and some of some of my best success stories have nothing to do with what happened in the arena so some of the biggest wins i've had as a coach have been kids coming back to me 10 15 years after they left the program and saying hey you made a difference so Mm -hmm. i consider that a win even though it it, it's never going to show up in any stat or anything like that um I'd say that was, those are some of the best best things that I've had about coaching is, is the little wins, whether it's somebody having a, a really good day at practice, whether it's having somebody make a, a breakthrough and getting to the next level, whether it's, you know, Tristan making the NFR, little things like that. The, the wins are different for every student in our program, and I think that's, that's one of the, the great things about, um, about being a coach. Some of, the, some of the greatest wins, I had a student last year that uh, – she graduated, and her dad came and said, "I never thought you could get her through school." So I would say that's that's a pretty big <laughs> win as well. And yeah. she's back for a graduate year this year as well, and yeah. she wants to be a coach. So oh, awesome! Um, you know, little wins like that, uh, man. Those those are awesome. Those are those are really awesome. Those those make uh, that that makes coaching worthwhile for me. Yeah. Well, I love both those answers, and that's one of my all-time favorite questions to ask people is what drives you and what motivates you. So I'm really excited. Well, thank you both very much for joining me for Under the Brim on this episode. Is there any shout-out that you want to give to your teams, your pot, to your programs, any recruitment things, any promotions that you want to give real quick? I, I just want to say, like, um, you know, come support all of our kids because, you know, we have really tremendous kids, and we have really, we're, we're turning the page on – all of our athletics and our rodeo team, you know, coach has done a great job and just come out and support when you get a chance to go watch these kids and support them because they, they do a lot of work for us and they, 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 we put a good product out there for somewhere else. Yeah, I love the way that the students here support each other. It's unlike any other university that I've ever been to. Yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty awesome. Like when the basketball players and all the other sports come down to our college rodeo, you know, our announcer, he, he does about uh, 10 college rodeos a year and like he says he never sees that anywhere any other school he goes to mm-hmm. and then uh, there's times where college basketball games and stuff I have to kind of get after my guys to 
kind of keep it under control because <laughs> oh speaking of there's a story that i was supposed to ask you about like from one of your first seasons here about you going to a thrift store and buying a suit and setting up your own espnd they desk did. They, did. they did they did now they tell had, me about this story they I, went, I almost forgot about that they went and uh they actually printed srsu in the espn font and they built them a little table and they found an old VHS recorder at a thrift <laughs> store here in town. And they went and brought sport jackets and they had a microphone and they would sit there at, at midcourt and basically talk trash the whole game <laughs> to the officials, to the other team, to the other coach. But they acted like they were on Sports Center <laughs> doing it. And they would film themselves and and they would they would they had the little I don't know what they had, they had something where they could do the da 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 the ESPN highlight sound and stuff, but they had a blast doing it, and then here the last couple of years, they sit at the uh, at the ends of the court, and they switch at halftime. And uh, the second half, they normally go down and harass the other team's coach and stuff. And <laughs> it, uh, they they make a difference, I think, in they some do. of the, some of the games. A competitor yeah. is a competitor, no yeah. matter what, right? That's it. Yeah, that's hilarious. They, they have a blast. We need to get them to go to some of the volleyball <laughs> games. Yeah, that's too funny. Oh my gosh, I love it. It's a the true creativity story. of our students. That is a true story though. Yeah. I, I, I was sat there and watched some pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah. Well, nowadays, I mean, how many years ago was that? Do you remember? That was my first year, so that would have been 5 years ago. Okay. And some of the, I think Brandon Lansford and Nate are the the they were there and they're the only two that I still have in the program that were here. Brandon's on his graduate degree and Nate's finishing his bachelor's this year. Okay. 